Hello guys and welcome back to the Priority Podcast. Today's episode is quite an interesting one, especially because we're going to be joined by two special guests. How about you guys say hello? Hi! Thanks for joining me for this episode. Here with me, I have two guests who are representatives of two national organisations that deal with some of the largest national priority health areas in Australia. Representing Sports Australia is spokesperson Isabella Davis. Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Hello everyone, I'm Isabella and I'm a spokesperson for Sports Australia. And I'm here today to speak about one of our newest campaigns, Find Your 30. Inactivity is probably the biggest contributor to developing CBD, so we aim to promote participation. Thanks so much, Isabella. The other guest we have with us today is Christine Nguyen, who is representing Diabetes Australia. Hey guys, my name is Christine and I'm here on behalf of Diabetes Australia to discuss one of our many campaigns, Take Diabetes to Heart. I've worked for Diabetes Australia for almost five years now and continue to assist Australians in developing their awareness of diabetes. Perfect. Now, I'm sure it's no secret that both CBD and diabetes are very prominent health issues in Australia, so much so that they are both labelled as national health priority areas. I wanted to dedicate today's episode to discussing both these diseases, their prevalence within Australia, and what is being done to combat and prevent both diseases from getting worse. Both my guests today will have the opportunity to discuss each disease, and then we will evaluate the effectiveness of each campaign that they are representing. Does that sound good? Yes, definitely. Perfect. If there are no other questions, then let's start. To start off, how about you both give a brief description in case listeners aren't aware of what CBD or diabetes actually is and some associated risk factors. I'll go first. So CBD is an umbrella term that includes many diseases of the heart and circulatory system. Some examples include coronary heart disease, stroke and heart failure. The main cause of CBD is a buildup of fat and plaque inside the arteries which blocks blood vessels, causing complications such as heart attacks and strokes. Many risk factors associated with CBD are lifestyle choices, which can be easily modified. These include having high blood pressure, smoking, sedentary behavior, an unhealthy diet, and obesity. However, there are some aspects of health that cannot be altered due to genetics, including heart muscle diseases and high cholesterol levels. And diabetes is a metabolic disease that causes high blood sugar levels and a lack of insulin. There are multiple types of diabetes, including type 1, type 2, and gestational. The last two are considered lifestyle diseases, however, the cause of type 1 is actually unknown. It can also be the cause of many other chronic diseases like heart disease, liver disease, and limb amputation. It turns out that there are many risk factors for CBD that can also cause diabetes, especially type 2. These include obesity, inactivity, age, and high blood pressure. Additionally, type 1 is believed to be caused by genetic factors such as family history, damaging immune system cells, and even environmental circumstances. I see, there are definitely some overlaps. Would you guys say that diabetes or CBD could also be caused by any social determinants? Diabetes is definitely influenced by many other determinants that people might not actually be able to control, like their access to education and information or poor housing and location. That's the same with CBD too, and these factors can also be influenced by early life and upbringing, as well as employment and work. I'm quite curious, what exactly makes these diseases so special that they are labelled national priority health areas? I wouldn't say diabetes is very special. In fact, cases of diabetes are quickly increasing every year. Self-reported cases of diabetes went from 3.3% of Australians in 2001 to 4.4% in 2018. The prevalence of diabetes is higher for males than females at 5% versus 3.8%. Even scarier, rates of people aged 65 to 74 were more than three times higher than 45 to 54 years old. That's a bit concerning. What about the incidence? 
For type 1, there were 2,800 new cases in Australia in 2018. Between 2000 and 2018, there were even an average of 7 new cases per day. For type 2, the incidence of self-reported diabetes has risen from around 3% to an astounding 5.3% in 2018. Also, there are 100,000 more diagnosed cases each year. Whilst those stats are concerning, I don't think they're quite much up to CBD, which is actually the leading cause of death in Australia. In 2020, around 1.2 million Australians had a condition related to CBD. The prevalence of CBD was 6.5% higher amongst men than women. More than one in four of those aged 75 and over had a heart attack, stroke or vascular disease. As for the incidence, luckily, deaths are on the decrease. In 2010, 46,623 Australians died from a CBD-related disease, decreasing by almost 4,000 to 41,800 in 2020. Those statistics definitely are scary. It seems that both CBD and diabetes are significant health problems. So, would you both be able to go into some more detail about some specific social justice principles that may help at-risk individuals, maybe like participation, equity, access, and rights? I think one of the largest issues surrounding CBD is the lack of education and access to health information. Through means such as mandatory PDHPE classes in schools, this will encourage those at risk to participate in protective behaviour such as physical activity. It's also important to make sure services are equitable, which can be seen through services like the Royal Flying Doctor Service, which provides emergency care for those who live in rural and remote areas, a great distance from health services like hospitals. It is clear that access to sufficient services is absolutely crucial. Improving access to communities in need can be done through the implementation of consultants, such as GPs and information available free of charge. Also, having the right to free healthcare is a strategy to exercise the rights of the people. No matter where in Australia one is located, they are able to visit a practitioner or hospital free of charge in order to receive the medical attention they need. What about for diabetes, Christine? It is similar that one of the largest causes for diabetes, specifically type 2, is an increase of sedentary behaviour and poor diets. Encouraging participation to take responsibility for health can be done through specific dietary and exercise recommendations from GPs, specialists or dietitians. For groups who may require more equitable service, this can be done through government funding to specific areas and adding extra health services like more GPs within a remote community. It's also clear that that access to health services and information is very important when educating and preventing diabetes. A way to, that access can be made easier for struggling communities is through free information and checkups being provided to specific areas of need, like sending a diabetes specialist to Indigenous communities to educate about protective factors. People with diabetes are also entitled to a range of medical treatment and services. For example, those who come from a non-English speaking background also have the right to a secondary service like an interpreter. Interesting. It seems that both diseases are easily preventable and supported, and that some communities will need more assistance than others. Which leads me on to my next question. There's no doubt certain population groups are at a much higher risk of developing CVD or diabetes. Who are some of these groups? Are there any in common? I think we can all agree that possibly the largest affected group would be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, specifically due to many factors such as low income, education and upbringing. Yes, definitely. Did you know that Indigenous Australians are three times more likely to develop diabetes over non-Indigenous people? That's definitely concerning. The same with CBD. They are two times more likely to develop a coronary heart disease. 
Additionally, there, there were approximately 2,000 CVD deaths among Indigenous people in 2018, resulting in a mortality rate 1.7 times higher than non-Indigenous people. The difference between Indigenous CVD cases is also 0.2 times higher among females. Preventable CVD deaths contribute to almost one quarter of the mortality gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. They are also 2.1 times more likely to be hospitalised for CVD and two times more likely to die from CHD. I see. Do you have anything else to add, Christine? I do. Thanks, Patricia. Based on the 2020 AHW report, Indigenous Australians are almost three times as likely to have diabetes when compared to non-Indigenous Australians at 12.6% versus 4.3%. These inequalities even stem into mortality rates. In 2018, there were 86 deaths per 100,000 ATSI population from diabetes. This results in the mortality rate being four times as high among ATSI communities compared to the rest of Australia. This gap is even higher among Indigenous females who are five times as high. There are also 3.9 times more likely to be hospitalised for diabetes. That's truly horrible, and hopefully more work is being done to close this unfair gap. Are there any other groups in Australia that might experience inequities? Definitely for diabetes. This sort of ties into Indigenous communities, but people who live in low socioeconomic areas also experience unequal health opportunities and access. The rate of diabetes increases to around twice as high among those living in low SES areas. According to the 2016 AHW, if all Australians had the same type 2 diabetes rates as people in the highest SES areas, the total type 2 diabetes rate would decline by 46%. The diabetes mortality rate in 2016 was 2.18 times as high as those in higher SES areas. The disparity for females was greater, 2.39 times as high. Lower SES individuals are also two times more likely to be hospitalised for diabetes. Another thing in common, low SES areas also have much higher rates of CVD. Males living in low SES areas are 3% more likely to have a form of CVD, and for females, it is 1% more. These socioeconomic factors have evidently created health inequities in low SES communities. In general, the condition rate for low SES individuals is 1.5 times more higher than those in higher SES areas. The mortality rate is 20% higher for those in the lowest SES areas at 2,200 per 100,000 compared to 1,800 per 100,000. The CVD mortality rate for males in the lower SES areas was 1.52 times higher than males in the higher SES areas. The gap was slightly less for females at 1.33 times as high. They are also 1.3 times more likely to be hospitalised for CHD. I also have a question for Christine, as I was wondering. Are rural and remote communities considered priority for diabetes? Actually, they are not. Since the rates are too similar for those living in major cities, these communities are not considered more at risk. Really? Is that the same case with CBD? Unfortunately, no. Reports of CBD were 1.4 times as high in remote areas when compared with major cities in 2020. Remote areas reported 180 people per 100,000, and those living in major cities reported 128 per 100,000. CVD hospitalization rates also increase as remoteness increases, being approximately 30% higher than major cities. Also, in 2017, the rate of potentially avoidable deaths increased with remoteness. 
Females who lived in remote areas were 3.3 times more likely to die from CVD than those in major cities, and males 2.3 times. Thanks for the insight, as it is extremely important to understand the struggles of other communities who may be less fortunate or not given the same access to health services as we are. For our next discussion, I wanted to ask both of you about the direct and indirect costs that these diseases put on both individuals and the community. Isabella, do you care to start? Of course. There's no doubt that CVD puts a large financial burden on both individuals and the community. There is a hefty price for surgeries and medicine to treat a cardiovascular condition, as heart surgeries can vary from 7000 to 40000 For the community, the rising prevalence of CVD results in more government money being put into hospitals and treatment. In 2013, an estimated $5 billion was spent on healthcare for people with CVD, equating to 12% of all healthcare expenses. As for indirect costs, an individual with CVD may have to experience many things such as lengthy recovery process, the loss of a job due to recovery time, the inability to perform daily tasks, and a loss of independence. For the community, the company an individual works for may lose money after the patient has to take time off work. This could result in hiring inexperienced workers and a loss of productivity. The direct costs on individuals and the community are definitely similar. There are also financial stress due to the cost of medicine and treatment. The price of diabetes medicine can vary from around $40 to even $450 per month. Increasing incidence of diabetes has resulted in more money from the government needing to put into preventative measures. This means the total annual cost for type 2 diabetes is up to $6 billion. And for type 1 diabetes, the total annual cost is $570 million. Some indirect individual costs are an increase in absenteeism from work, reduced productivity and premature mortality risk. For the community, there is an overwhelming demand for carers, especially for family and friends of those diagnosed. This will result in relatives also having to take time off their own jobs, leading to more financial burden and loss of productivity. Hmm, I'm seeing quite the overlap with these two diseases. It's very interesting. For our last discussion before our upcoming Battle of the Campaigns, how about you both briefly touch on some preventative measures for CBD and diabetes? I'll go first. I believe that there are two levels which measures can be put in place, which include community and individual. At community level, government and council agencies can provide more support and assistance by creating specific programs to target problem areas. They can also promote various organisations such as Diabetes Australia, who can spread awareness of risk factors and consequences to a wide audience. At an individual level, it, it is the individual's responsibility to look after their own health and lifestyle, where they may also be offered additional and specific advice to lower their risk of diabetes through GP visits, example, eating plan from a dietitian. This also includes managing weight and body fat percentage through regular exercise and a healthy diet. I'm assuming this may be a similar case with CBD. Absolutely. At a community level, increasing taxes on unhealthy food items, sugary beverages, can restrict those who may be on a budget from selecting potentially harmful products, as they are no longer the cheapest option. The creation of public awareness campaigns such as ours can also spread awareness through online advertisements, television appearances, education in schools or posters. Individuals providing education, especially in regards to health and one's responsibility, can help others to feel more inclined to visit a health provider or GP. It is also one's own responsibility to involve themselves in their community. 
They may feel more welcome if a community bands together to encourage exercise or healthy eating. Thanks so much, guys, for all this amazing info. You did mention organizations for prevention, which now brings us to our next segment. Which campaign will I deem the most effective and successful? In our intro, I mentioned that both my guests are representatives of two separate organizations that aim to spread awareness and encourage prevention of CVD and diabetes. I assume you guys are both aware of the Ottawa Charter? Yes. Perfect. For this segment, I'll compare each campaign in each area of the Charter based on the new public health approach, Prevention is Better Than Cure. First of all, who is the target audience for each of your campaigns? Take Diabetes to Heart is a campaign aimed at any and all Australians who may be concerned about diabetes and, by extension, heart health. It can also be useful for those who already have diabetes. The Find Your 30 campaign is aimed at every Australian. Our goal is to prevent CVD wherever possible, so we want to make our message as accessible as we can. Perfect. Are you guys ready? Yes. Yep. I'll start off with building healthy public policy. As for legislation or taxes, our campaign is not enforced by the government or backed by legislation. However, it is supported by the government due to the alarming statistics of sedentary behaviour. Did you know only just half of Australians participate in over 30 minutes of exercise a day? We cannot legally make people participate in exercise, but hope the campaign and organisation provide a large amount of encouragement. It is similar with our campaign that there are really no rules for individuals to take responsibility for their health, just a lot of encouragement. Since Diabetes Australia is a well-known organisation, we know the presence of this campaign is enough to encourage the general public, which is what leads me to the next area. Take to Diabetes to Heart absolutely creates supportive environments for those who visit the website and are able to access its resources. Our campaign website is filled with options to easily access important information about the warning signs of diabetes, protective factors, as well as listening to experiences from those who have diabetes or their loved ones. Our digital space is easily accessible and encourages healthy behaviours. What about the people who may not have internet access? Are there any other ways to access the information you have available? Well, our campaign is largely online-based and it itself provides many resources to reach out for help. However, there are fact sheets about the information available which we encourage GPs to have readily available. In our instance, we successfully create a supportive environment through our television advertisements and encouragements. We show regular Australians fitting exercise into their daily lives, which in turn allows viewers to see that mixing work and leisure is truly possible and is amazing for their health and can also be done in whichever environment they feel safest. Additionally, we also provide a number of grants to elderly communities, schools and sporting teams in order to fund their need for sports equipment or classes, encouraging them to participate in exercise even further. Thanks, guys. Moving on, Christine, how do you think your campaign strengthens community action? I believe that the origin of our campaign is what truly strengthens our community, that it retells true stories and experiences felt by everyday Australians, therefore making it entirely relatable for Australians that may come from a number of different backgrounds. The message we spread of encouraging Australians to have a heart-to-heart with their GPs about their health also encourages the community to bond even further, especially with their health providers. In the case of Find Your 30, I believe that it is pretty similar. Our campaign also showcases regular Australians in everyday situations, such as running in a park, taking children to swimming lessons, or even at-home workouts. 
We also encourage Australians to find their 30 minutes of exercise in normal everyday activity. This also increases the reliability of our campaign, which can greatly inspire any Australians watching, regardless of who they may be. This therefore strengthens the communities and even families of those who may be watching. It seems that your campaign is pretty inspiring, but does it do anything to develop the personal skills for those who are watching? For Take Diabetes to Heart, the resources we provide cover a wide range of specific topics that assist anyone who is searching for answers. For example, we provide ways to be successfully physically active, make healthy food choices, target high blood pressure and symptoms that will require a doctor's visit. Accessing all this information will easily increase the viewer's knowledge about the risk factors for diabetes and even CBD. Additionally, the Victorian government also ran group sessions that offered health coaching to accommodate to individuals' specific needs in diet and exercise. Along with our television advertisements about the requirements for effective exercise, our website also provides a lot of help for developing, developing individual skills and ideas on how to find their own 30. Our website allows people to input and plan how they will get their 30 in, providing suggestions such as completing it at home, along with family or their own children. It also provides game ideas for children that adults or teachers can implement within schools such as tag games, race ideas, and six-week challenges. Wow, it seems both campaigns have some very interesting ways of educating the public. On to our last action area. Isabella, how does Find Your 30 reorient health services? In line with new public health approach, the whole aim of our campaign is to stop the development of CBD before it has even started. Only half of the nation meeting the bare minimum, minimum requirements for exercise is simply not right, and leaves a large number of the population at risk. In order to reorient our services, we have spread our message of early prevention on television, social media, and even occasionally in cinema advertisements. We hope that our message has resonated with Australians and they realise they are in charge of their own health and that finding your own 30 that works for you is the best way for, for prevention. As for Take Diabetes to Heart, our biggest way to reorient health services is providing our easily accessible information while simultaneously putting a large stress on visiting a GP and having a serious talk about health to encourage prevention. Whilst also raising awareness of diabetes, we also aim to destroy any stigma that may exist about asking for help, particularly with males. We provide specific questions to ask your GP in case you may be worried about your health, as well as to bring up the conversation of health and healthy habits with loved ones. I believe that we encompass all the good parts of Find Your 30 and even go beyond, especially since our campaign also discusses that avoiding diabetes is also avoiding and preventing CBD. Thank you both so much for all that information. After careful consideration, I pronounced the most effective campaign to be Find Your 30. Yay! I do believe that Take Diabetes to Heart is also an incredible campaign. However, I believe that Find Your 30 provides more specific and accessible ways to prevent health diseases and promote healthy behaviours. Congratulations, Isabella. Thank you so much. And special thanks to Christine as well, who was a very pleasant guest. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Priority Podcast. Make sure to return next week where we will discuss a summary of the AHW 2020 report. Thanks and goodbye.